Do you feel unfulfilled in your career as a medical SLP and perhaps a bit confused on how to even move forward? Do you feel completely overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed, yet completely misunderstood and underappreciated in your facility? Do you feel like you're riding the therapy hamster wheel, unsure if you're even providing good therapy for your patients? When you started practicing medical speech pathology after grad school, did you get overwhelmed with how much medical SLP information was missing from your graduate education? If you've been working in the field for a while, do you feel frustrated that there's no one single centralized source to stay up to date on all the latest research and treatments that are coming out every year? Are you even sure you're providing the right and best, most up-to-date treatment techniques for your patients? Are you sick of paying up to $500 for courses that teach you about just one of the many, many conditions you need to stay up to date on? Imagine if there was one place that you could go to receive all the support and resources to help you eliminate these feelings. Imagine how much time and frustration you would save if you had immediate access to one centralized location for blind peer-reviewed resources. Imagine if you had access to several clinical experts and university professors to help guide you in your clinical decision-making with personalized response to your clinical cases. Imagine if you felt you had the detailed, personalized support you needed to succeed in your practice and your career from a wide range of experts and fellow clinicians who care deeply about your career development. Do you think then your patients would receive higher quality care and actually make progress towards their goals? Do you think you would get more rewarded and recognized for this progress among your patients and in your facilities? What if I told you I've created this exact solution? It's called the Medical SLP Collective. It's a monthly membership program and vibrant community of fellow medical SLP clinicians and researchers who are supporting each other to provide better care for their patients and therefore also advance their careers. My name is Kristen West. I'm a pediatric speech-language pathologist that specializes in children with medically complex histories, and I've worked with them in a variety of settings. What I love most about the Med SLP Collective is that it is such a passionate group of speech-language pathologists that really strive to provide the highest level of care to their patients through the implementation of evidence-based practice in our field. It's also such a supportive learning environment where everybody is willing to share their expertise and their knowledge to help grow individuals' professional practice, but also advance our profession. It really is such an interesting and unique learning community. I never have incur- um, I never have encountered anything like that in the field until I joined the Med SLP Collective, and I really can't say enough great things about it. I truly cannot say enough good things about being a part of the Med SLP Collective. It's really changed the way that I approach every single type of patient that I may not have been 100% confident in. So obviously, we want to work within our realm of competency and make sure our patients are getting the best care, but sometimes the job comes with things that we maybe don't feel highly confident on. So I was trained in voice and I was lucky enough to be trained by an incredible voice pathologist and feel very confident in my voice skills. But my entire career I have worked in voice and swallowing institutes and so with the voice people come the swallowing people as well and that's not something I always was very confident in. And the Med SLP Collective has given me so many resources and so much 
actual information that you can use in the clinic. I've always loved going to conferences and meeting colleagues and networking and being inspired by the researchers, but I always felt lackluster as I came away from it, like I didn't have anything to go home and use. And anytime I'm feeling unsure of anything, I can reach out to a mentor in the group or just the other members. You can go on the website and get instructions on how to do exercises, the rationale behind it, evidence-based practice. It's really just a wealth of knowledge and it has grown my clinical practice immensely and made me feel so much more confident and inspired as a clinician. Hey everybody, Natalie Douglas here from Central Michigan University. And there are so many reasons that I love the Medical SLP Collective and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Probably the biggest reason is that I love how clinicians are able to approach mentors in ways that specifically solve clinical problems that they're facing right in the moment and get very tailored advice that is supportive and really meeting the needs that they have right then, which I think is such a unique contribution to the profession. I also sincerely appreciate how much Teresa really cultivates a culture of respect and collaboration and the resources are just completely top-notch. She has a rigorous peer review process and the resources again are based on true SLP need and I just love how this is an awesome way to merge research and clinical practice in a supportive collaborative environment can't say enough about it. If you're interested in joining us, enrollment opens December 9th. You can go to medslpcollective.com and either get on the waiting list or if it is past December 9th, you can join. So um, enrollment will be open from December 9th through December 13th. So I hope you'll join us then at medslpcollective.com. This is episode 117 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Maggie Doniker. She is a medical SLP who has a healthy sense of humor and has been practicing since 2012. She has her bachelor's degree from Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, and her master's degree from Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. She is currently licensed in both Florida and Ohio and is a four-time recipient of the ASHA ACE Award. She's a member of SIG-13 and is one of two ever speech-language pathology members of the Radiological Society of North America, RSNA, and a member of the American Society of Radiologic Technologists, ASRT. She has certifications in myofascial release, MDTP, and MBSIMP, amongst many others. She has vast experience in the evaluation and treatment she has vast experience in the evaluation and treatment within multiple settings, including pediatric outpatient, skilled nursing facilities, acute care, LTACs, adult outpatient, and inpatient rehab. She is a mother of two lovely girls, a wife, and a member of the current Inner Circle Leadership Group and the Medical SLP Collective. Maggie is, continues to advance her skills in leadership, specialization, research, and innovation. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. 
Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Maggie. Good morning, Teresa. How are you? Oh, I'm doing okay. Lovely to see you. It's always good to see you. All right. So who are you? Tell the people who you are. Sure. So my name is Maggie Doniker. I am a medical speech-language pathologist who has been practicing since 2011. I've had the pleasure of working in a multitude of settings, um, and I am trained in various things such as MDTP, MBSIMP, and other skilled interventions. I have had the opportunity to work actually in two states. Currently, I'm in Florida, but I got my master's degree and practiced in, earlier in my career in Ohio. So I'm happy to say that I'm still dual certified in both states. And it's nice to see the differences actually in relation to two states and working in different settings. Is it is it a good different or an ugly different? Well, it's interesting that you should say that. It's just different. You know, with a lot of things in relation to... Uh, you know, trying to put like the term like ugly on it, it's not necessarily like yeah, yeah. fair to say because it's just different. It really is based off of people like work ethic, approach to therapies, evidence-based versus non-evidence-based. Very interesting overall. And it's nice that I've finally been able to see it because, you know, you're told like, oh, like everybody works the same way or, oh yeah, it's like totally different. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's totally yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is funny you say that because I started my career originally in Indiana and I was there for a few years and then we moved to Vegas. So that was like a huge change from like Indiana to Nevada. And now I'm in New York, which is a whole nother world as well. So I totally get what you mean by, yeah, some of these places are just still stuck in prehistoric times. And then, yeah. So. Right. And that's actually part of the reason why I came on here today is actually. Oh, good. Well, why are you here, Maggie? Right. Yay. So. What's nice about my career is I've also had an opportunity to be a PRN. PRN and everybody is like, oh, PRN, like, let's talk about PRN because we want to be involved or we want to try something new. You know, working in different settings and then working in different states, the PRN encompasses a whole bunch of the same things, but the approach is still kind of different or what you're going to be looking for is different. And then that's when you see the real differences in relation to how some of the main therapists provide the therapy or provide certain things and then how the hospital or skilled nursing facility, home health agency then also applies different mindsets upon that. I, I think what's what's fascinating to me, and I'm sure we're going to get into this a lot more, is like, I think a lot of people have this skewed idea that PRN is like the entry level. Like people are like, if I can just get in there as a PRN therapist, like if I can just get in as PRN my career will be great. And I think for some facilities, some hospitals, PRN can be like scary as shit because you might be on your own on a Saturday night when there's nobody else in the building to help you. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's part of like the whole hustle and it is, you're right. Initially, sometimes it definitely is kind of like that entry level, but especially when you get more into the medical setting and the more detailed, like being the only person in the ICU or being that individual within an LTAC, you really do have to know what you're doing and you have to be confident with who you are um, and the information that you are bringing to that position that you sought out and were hired for. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So I thought I'd try to start out with just a little bit of the discussion of what does that mean, PRN. Sure. So PRN, per the uh, Webster Online Dictionary, happens to be as needed or as circumstances required. Um, it is a Latin term. So pro renata is a Latin term for as needed. 
Um, and then there's also the term called per diem. So, and that is per the dictionary, once again, online is by, by, by the day for each day based off of the use of service by day and a daily allowance. PRN and per diem can sometimes actually be based off of the region that you're at, or those are two terms that are kind of thrown back and forth and just kind of, it's either your per diem or your PRN. I have found more often than not for the positions that I have applied for, I've only seen one per diem and the rest of them have said PRN. So it really kind of depends on what occurs. Um, when you do like Google search this, trying to find a job or when you use something, I would use both terms to see what kind of pops up to see what jobs are out there. In preparation for this talk, I did do the best that I could to perform certain kinds of research. So thank you for that. You're wonderful. Um, actually, when, thank you. <laughs> so when reaching out to ASHA, actually there is, they came back with me with that they don't actually have a lot of data on how many PRNers are in, are working within the populace. Um, they don't really have a lot of data based off of how much money someone makes or even what the necessary need is and how that has changed over time. But what they have done is, is that they did kind of direct me to some ASHA leaders in relation to some articles that have talked about PRN. Um, one of the ones actually, two of them actually have come out of the 2018, um, December 1 of 2018, and then July 1 of 2018, both of them, one talking about home health and the other one talking about a CFY in the hospital. And they kind of talked about PRN and why you might want to do it and why not. And then there was also one from November of 2004 when titled talking uh taking rather the long view of long-term care. And they also kind of talked about PRN, but they're kind of snippets. It doesn't really go into like a lot of the information about maybe how else you can apply and so on and so forth. I'm going to get into a little bit more in detail. I know that there has been multiple podcasts though about PRN or at least discussion about PRN on, on social media and so forth. There has been some things actually in SIG 13, that has also been quite assistive with discussing that. But once again, it doesn't necessarily break it down into like step one, step two, step three. It's not necessarily I'm going to do that here on this talk, but at least I'm going to try to help kind of guide you, guide those people that are looking for those PRN opportunities to go from there. Awesome. I think, I think what you said, Maggie, that's so fascinating that ASHA doesn't have a lot of data about that. It doesn't really, yes, you're right. But I think that's also an opportunity to maybe do some research on so for those research bug people, I'll slowly raise my hand, um, yes, that are looking to do possibly something or maybe a thesis in, in school or what have you, kind of see how many PR and SLPs are out there or try to see even what they're, how long they last, you know, how long are they in the job and then how long do they switch or how long are they in a PRN position and then switch into full-time or part-time or so forth, or if there is anything about that. I think that's what I find so fascinating about the collective is that a lot of people like I will have known that they like have worked in the schools for like 10 or 20 years or something. And I'm like, what are you doing in the collective? And they're like, oh, I PRN at the hospital on the weekends. I'm like, I had no idea. Right. Like, so it's funny how I'm not funny, but I mean, there's just so many SLPs that are taking advantage of multiple settings, which is cool. Which is really wonderful. Yeah, because that only expands uh, yourself personally. And then it also still shares the wealth of your skills for the people that really require it. Yeah. But based off of that, even though ASHA doesn't have necessarily a whole bunch of detailed information, there are quite a few sites that you could go to online that happen to do actually with physical and occupational therapy that break down a little bit more about some things that you may want to look for. 
ideas that you can still apply for a PR runner, which is where I'm going to go through more so as we continue this talk. So always a question, why would you ever want to be a PRN? Well, of course, there's lots of reasons why you want to do a PRN. One of the main ones just happened to be is that you're interested in a population or you're interested in a setting that you do want to get into more, such as hospitals, like you've already just indicated. You work in the schools. Hey, I want to try to see what I can do in a hospital or a skilled nursing facility or a specialized unit. Some pros to PRN, definitely the appealing fact that it is almost the premium rate of therapy. Per ZipRecruiter, as of October 2019, a yearly income um, nationwide happened to be $92,722. The average payout for just PRN for speech therapy is $45, and then the upper 75th percentile is $55. They still do kind of say that it does vary based off of region, it does vary based off of where you are working and so forth, as well as years of experience, but that still just seems to be the average. Another pro happens to be that you can sometimes set your own schedules. If you are a working mother or if you are just somebody who enjoys their morning time and wants to go in after 12, sometimes that is an opportunity to do so. Or if you're someone who just wants to work on the weekends, that also can be an advantage of working PRN. Or if you are someone that just wants to work once a week and has the ability to do that, once again, PRN seems to sometimes be the place to go. Also, too, with PRN, there's no extra junk. Um, most of the time, you don't have to do, like, schedule your own patients. You don't have to necessarily, depending on the job, once again, fax a whole bunch of paperwork. You don't have to necessarily deal with other additional departmental demands. Obviously, you still have to do continuing education and so forth per whatever hospital you work at. But the majority of the extra stuff, you don't have to do, per se. Yeah. Let me let me back you up a second, Maggie. What um I know you said sometimes you can have more of a little flexible schedule. Like, do you are you able to make that schedule, or is it really truly like you're on call? They call you in, or they just call you? Because I feel like I've heard like a variety of different things. Right, and that's what's tough about PRN is is that it really depends on what they're looking for. There is something that I'll go into a little bit more in depth based off of that, but it really depends on what is required. A lot of the times when you are applying for a PRN position, you are asked to come in for an interview. And when you perform the interview and then they ask you, do you have any questions? That would probably be a really great time to actually ask the question. What are you really looking for? If they, if you feel as though that they didn't really answer that, are you looking for someone that's going to be on call? Are you going to look for someone that's even very consistent? Are you looking for someone that is going to be every other? Are you looking for someone who's just going to cover maternity leaves, just holidays and so forth? I have the opportunity actually down here in Florida to be consistent on the weekends. So they're looking for someone to give their full-time therapist a break. Also too, I'm going to talk about actually in Florida in general, there's an in-season and an out-of-season. You know, you're in-season when your snowbirds are down here and it seems like, oh my gosh, all the great tops are here and the traffic gets crazy and so forth. Um, we welcome them obviously with open arms, but everybody seems to, oh, we need extra help because there's so many people that need the assistance because unfortunately accidents do happen or um, sometimes too, the transfer of care does occur when you're coming to outpatient just because you want to be a snowbird. That doesn't mean your life stops. 
your medical illnesses also come with you to the sunny sunshine state. So luckily there are therapists here that also do apply. Um, they also are able to perform the treatment that you require. So that's just a really good question that you do have to ask your employer in more detail. More often than not, it seems to still be that as needed. So we'll call you in if we need you, but that's about it. Here, here in Buffalo, unfortunately, some of the snowbirds should consider going south because the winter is just totally crazy in these facilities because everyone fell and broke a hip shoveling 90 pounds of snow. Oh, yeah. I still get the occasional I tripped on some sand down here or, oh. you know, the, the, the beach cart rolled over my foot. So it happens. <laughs> that's hysterical. That's hysterical. Yeah, I, that's so funny, you know, that you said that about the, like how the different schedules work. I When I was living out in Las Vegas, there was this big trauma center that I like really wanted to work at. So I applied for the PRN job and I got it. And I was like going through all the you know, the HR stuff. And it was like my final like meeting to like confirm all the HR stuff before like I was doing my first shift like the next day. And the HR manager was like, so I just want to make sure you know that you have to work Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I was like, what? And I was like, I, this never came up. I was like, this literally was just an as needed position. And she was like, it is as needed, but we require anyone that's PRN, you have to work Thanksgiving or Christmas. And I was like, I literally can't this year. Like, I have everyone coming to my house for Thanksgiving. I'm going to my in-laws for Christmas. And she's like, okay, well, that's what's required. And I was like, I guess I can't do the job then. She's like, so you're giving up the job? I was like, you left me no choice. Like, <laughs> I, I can't fulfill the requirements. So Exactly. And that's why it really is, obviously, you know, very important to ask that question. Sometimes they yeah. don't know necessarily. My hope is, is that they do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you don't not, you do not want to be sprung upon that being like, I've got to work. Yeah, I could not believe that it never came up like in any interview, like any orientation, nothing. Yikes. Well, I'm, obviously they missed out on your opportunity. They and did. Hopefully they did find someone. You snooze you lose. That. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Some, well, so that's kind of a con, to be honest, based off of PRN. Sometimes you do have to work those times that not necessarily everybody else wants to work if you think about it or also to a con for PRN is is that they you don't have insurance you know PRN with that as needed basis and based off of the labor laws and so forth of how many hours you're supposed to work per per state per hospital setting or building that you work for uh, you have to work so many hours a lot of the time PRN, because you're only as needed, you will not meet those hours. Thus, you do not get the insurance. There are some places, very minuscule, that if you do work so consistently, there is an opportunity for that. But the main thing I would like people to get out of listening to this is, is that it most likely will not happen. So there is no insurance. Another thing is, is that you don't get paid when you don't work. So no work, no grain. You only get paid when you're there. You only get paid for the hours that you clock in and you clock out, as well as as if there may be no work for a while. For example, Florida, in season, out of season. Okay, when there's a, not a plethora of people, I may not work very often, especially like up north in Ohio too. If it's just low and things like that, and they have or they hired additional full-time, part-time people, you may not be called. So it really depends on the situation. And you really have to be aware of that and be flexible with it. Some neutrals, you know, coming again. Maybe you do want to work all the holidays because you enjoy holidays and you want to work them. <laughs> you can also get um, that holiday pay. 
uh, working the weekends, kind of a neutral. Maybe some people don't want to work the weekends. Maybe some people do. I actually enjoy working on the weekends because it happens to work for myself and my family at this time. And it is nice to come in because people are like, oh, hey, you're the weekend girl. And I'm like, hi, I'm back. So it is, it is nice to have that consistency. Um, you do sometimes can get some uh, shift differentials due to weekend times or if you're coming in later in the day. Some neutrals are is that you can cover maternity leaves, vacations, uh, honeymoons, assist with those. And then uh, neutral, pro, con, depending on how you want to see it. I see it as a con or as a pro, more so than a con, I guess. Um, you can come in and save the day. You know, peer runners really do have the opportunity to come and help not only when there's a crunch and pinch, but to also advocate for your full-time SLPs or your part-time SLPs or just the building that really needs that help that is in a rural area that the only way that they can get you in is they can only pay you at the per diem rate, but only let you come in a certain amount of time. So with all this wonderful information, how the heck do you start even doing this, right? So it, it really is as simple as actually sometimes looking on the internet. So when you're looking at your Indeed or when you're looking up certain kinds of hospitals within your area or LTACs or even doing a small Google search, ASHA going through there, sometimes even the SIGs, the special interest groups also have that. I know that um, SIG 13 does have some posting. Yeah, some jo- yeah, sometimes. Yeah. For different kinds of jobs and opportunities. Also too, it's okay if you call your local skilled nursing facility, your local LTAC, your local hospital. I actually had the opportunity to do that when I moved down to Florida. I live right down the street from a hospital. I called and I said, hey, from one SLP to another, I just want to let you know I'm a new um, SLP that just moved down here. I'm right around the corner. If you need some assistance, give me a call. Here's my contact. Sure enough, that speech pathologist called me and said, that's great. We don't have a job for you, but I'll keep an eye out for you. Three months later, job opening. And here I am sitting actually talking to you in the hospital that I called. So sometimes it just happens. It's okay to call because the worst thing they're going to say is no. I, I love that you said that too, because I know like I've talked to a lot. There's a local hospital here that's like, they're just so dead right now. Dead as far as dead's not a good word to use when describing a hospital, but there's... <laughs> such a need for SLPs right now. And the one SLP is like, our job listings literally been sitting on HR's desk for like six months. Like they just have not posted it. And we don't know why. And like, every time we ask, they're like, Oh, it's coming, it's coming. So it's like this specific place needs so much help. But for some reason, the post like, isn't out there. So you know, people are like, Do you know anybody? I'm like, Yes, call this place. So I know people are like, well, I feel weird calling like they don't have anything posted. It's like, who freaking cares? Just do it. A lot of the times too, like if you end up calling, they're like, yes, we do need the help. Sometimes that causes that speech language pathologist that works there to talk to management. Management, if they can get their stuff in gear, um, goes up and slowly but surely can make that position possibly for you. It really kind of depends. And you're right. More often than not, they do need the help, but maybe the position isn't there. But making that conversation and starting that conversation, you never know what could happen. So coming back to that whole idea of like, how do you do this PRN thing? You really have to make sure too that you can actually get your foot in the door to a certain degree. Coming from more of a medical background from the very beginning of my career to obviously still being a medical speech language pathologist to date, I haven't necessarily had to get my foot in the door because I had the opportunity to have a lot of experience and kind of carry that through. For somebody who's coming from a non-experienced place, you do want to try to have a good skill set and make sure that you know what they're looking for based off of that skill set. 
and it depends on where you're applying an LTAC versus a hospital versus skilled nursing facility. Once again, they still have the same ideas and the same, a lot of um, competencies, but you do really want to know how intense you're going to have to know right out the gate and make sure that you are reading through that job description. What are you supposed to do? A lot of job descriptions for PRNs still have similar job descriptions for full-time and part-time positions, except it does say limited hours or the lack of certain kinds of things based off of additional responsibilities like I've talked about before. When you do and hopefully get the job, which would be fantastic, um, you are going to have to make sure that you understand the protocols that they do. So each hospital and each place that I've worked at seems to have a little bit of a different approach based off of how they want to do certain things. The best thing to do is, is to have a reference sheet based off of the different places that you're at. If you are a part-time speech-language pathologist in one hospital, and then you're going to a skilled nursing facility, you want to really make sure that you see the dynamics between the two and can separate them based off of your idea. When you are communicating with the different places that you work for, if it's just one PRN place or if it's multiple, you want to make sure that you have that communication. Are they using your personal cell phone? Are you supposed to have a work phone? Are you actually, do you have access to your work email or do you want them to forward all of that information to your main email? So that way you can at least keep talking to them. I've had situations recently, unfortunately, that a lot of things <laughs> has been sent to my um, work email, even though there was a request for my personal email, but luckily that was adjusted quite quickly just because of that gap in communication. Text messages, phone calls, and things like that seem to be more common nowadays, sometimes more so than email, but you do want to also use your email when communicating. So that way you have a record of what you're talking about. So that way, when you're making a schedule, if you seem to have that position in PRN, you know exactly what you're looking for, or you can also reference back to it and say, Hey, actually I didn't sign up for this time. Or you know what I did? Thanks for reminding me. Yes, human error does occur. You want to limit that though, especially when you are working in PRN or when you're working your job period that you do want to know when you're going in or if it's going to be an on-call basis, you know that they have the right contact to get to you if it be email, text message, or phone call or Zoom. I don't think that that's very common, but just throwing it out there. PRN also too, you're going to have to be open to and how you do this is, is that you're going to have to be okay working with a whole bunch of different people. You are going to meet in PRN a multitude of personalities, quite a few different work et work ethics, sometimes some positive things and sometimes some non-positive things. You're going to have to be flexible and you're going to have to roll with both because as a PRNer, you have to stand on your own two feet, but you're also still going to have to weed through and move through what is the hospitals, skilled nursing facility, LTAC, what have you, home health agencies idea at the same time as well. Um, you're going to have to make sure that you do communicate with patients um, appropriately. Since you are the PRNer, you're being called in because they're in a crunch. So you should not come into work being PO'd or rushed because it's either you knew that this was going to happen because you signed up for PRN and you know that you're going in there because these patients still need, still need your help. So you do need to try to come to work still with a happy face with a smile and an attitude of saying, Hey, I'm not here very often, but I still know what, what I'm, I still know what I'm doing based off of what is occurring and what's being asked of you. And please always try to be respectful and um, pleasant to the staff that's there because you may have to rely on them. 
a lot of the times when you come into a PRN place, you may or may not remember where a lot of the supplies are. You may or may not remember what the door code is to get into certain things, and you may get denied access based off of your badge in certain places. So be polite, be aware of what's occurring, and just ask for some assistance when you need it. Sometimes when you are working PRN, you may actually end up being the soundboard for a lot of complaints. Since you're not there very often, a lot of people are like, you haven't been here. Let me tell you about the drama. And you're like, get away from me. It's like, oh, tempo pull, stop it. It happens, okay? Because you're a fresh face. You're not in there. Remember that, how I said earlier in the talk, you don't have a lot of those responsibilities like the other people do. And they're like, oh my gosh, I got so much to tell you about so-and-so and and all the drama. Um, (laughs) It happens. Let's not try to be a part of it. Because especially as a PRNer, you're kind of at a dangerous place too. Since you only work PRN, and if you could be in a pool of a lot of others, if you kind of get sucked into that stuff, you might not be called in because you get sucked into it. So it's something to definitely try to be more tactful in your communication if you're going to get sucked into the situation. Always try to refer back to management. I understand what you're saying. However, have you, did you happen to talk to management about this? Or did you happen to talk to your supervisor about this or your manager? Or my favorite thing sometimes is, is thank you so much for entrusting me with this insert issue here. While um, I do have a significant deadline, um, I'd like to talk to you more about this once you actually have a solution. So those are the kinds of things that you can talk about in relation to getting either out of the situation or try to help guide them back. If it is something, though, at the same time, too, that it's like, wow, like I'm really frustrated with such and such a patient. Okay, hey, might as well try to use your expertise and have that conversation with, have you joined the medical SLP collective? Or, hey, did you happen to see um, this or did you happen to hear this podcast? Or did you look at some certain Instagram about certain information? And try to go from there, obviously, because since you are working PRN, you might have some fresh ideas and some fresh eyes from the experiences that you've had before. How, how do you kind of balance that, Maggie? I know that's probably a really super complicated, but also delicate topic. Like, I know a lot of times people will say, you know, I've, I've gotten this patient all the way up to this diet or whatever. And then the PRN girl came in and put her on honey thick liquids. You know, it's, it's, I guess, how do you navigate those kind of conversations and relationships and conflicts? And Sure. As anything, when you're coming in and having a different clinical approach or a different kind of subset of eyes or a different expertise, those things kind of do occur. So you're going to have to, you as being the PRNer or as the main therapist talking to your PRNer, you need to just do that. Talk to them. <laughs> See what their experience is. See what their expectations are. I have had the opportunity to have very thorough speech-language pathologists that I have followed through based off of being PRN. And they have always had a little, either a little notepad for me or a little uh, side note outside of the medical record or outside of the documentation system being like, this is where I'm at and this is where I want to go. Or please try to consider this before you do that or have those communications. Yes. Unfortunately, sometimes too, working when I worked full-time or part-time and had a PRNer come in, that did also occur too. And I was strong enough and willing enough to talk to that PRNer and ask them why. What was the point behind this? What did you see that was different? And maybe that's an opportunity to educate, or maybe that's an opportunity to realize, hey, 
no, like, I think that you definitely need to really think about this next time, or this is the reason why we don't do these things, or this is the reason why I was disappointed, I guess, if anything else. Each person's kind of different. If you're not comfortable with that, that's where your management comes in. That's where you can refer back to your manager. You can express to them, hey, I have this concern with this one of the PRN staffers. Can you maybe sit down and talk to them if you don't feel comfortable? With that too, at the same time, yes, sometimes you're going to have to play like cleanup um, the next time you come in. The hope is, is that with this talk, hopefully a lot of the PRNers or this kind of situation won't happen because you are coming in to try to continue the care that has already been started. And if the patient has like a significant, I'm talking like significant medical change, then obviously it's a little bit different and you do have to do those appropriate steps to make those changes. But if it's a willy nilly kind of thing being like, Oh, they, you know, cleared their throat on thin liquids. I'm going to put them on honey thick. That's um, that's a no, no. So definitely use your clinical expertise when it comes to that. And you do have to roll with it at the same time too. So communication is key. Yes. What a shock. Yeah. Go figure. Right. Once again, yes. it always seems to come Amazing. back to that. I don't get Amazing. it. I don't know. I don't know. But talking about that, it kind of goes into the evidence-based practice. Not every facility that you work with is going to be up to date with evidence-based practice protocols. It is an unfortunate truth. But take the opportunity and be that shining light. Take that opportunity and actually advocate for your patients. Take that opportunity and maybe not work there if you are really that uncomfortable. I I preach, Maggie. Yeah, right? Thanks. I sometimes I just get these like messages like these Instagram DMs and things from people that just are like dumping their dirty laundry on me about everything horrible about every facility and every other SLP in it and it's like it's just screaming to me like then don't work there right like I (laughs) there's sometimes that you can make a lot of progress and you can help turn the place around but some places are just I don't know downright sad, I think. Exactly. Exactly. And it really depends on what you feel comfortable with and what you can do there. As a PR runner, you can still be there in that unfortunate environment and do the best that you can for the patients that you see. And hopefully that sheds off on that. That seems to be um, my experience up until this date. But um, it's, it's hard. It's hard, but that's part of the PRN realm. But what's nice is, is that maybe down the street, if that place is super scary, they may have another opportunity for you. Be aware too of what they ask you to do. If you are out of your comfort zone, or if you are in a situation where it's like, that's not right. um, It's okay to say that. Um, But please also be sure too, that if you do say that, that you do have the opportunity to show them why. So if it be a certain research article or if it be a certain guideline or if you're coming back to your same, you know, job description saying that's nowhere written in here, like I'm not doing that, have that back up for you and please feel confident in relation to those situations. At the same time with coming back to that education situation, it's okay to ask to be a part of that education. Hey, I know that I only work PRN, however... Maybe I think I can do possibly some education on oral care. Like I'm noticing that maybe this needs to be upped in this certain situation. Or I'm noticing a lot of the times for like home health, we're not getting a lot of speech referrals. Can I give an education to someone because it's only going to be a short period of time. So that way your main therapist can continue on with the treatment, but mine can just be like a catch-all if they feel confident with that, or if they're okay for you to do those things. 
Also be a part of grad rounds if you have the opportunity or come in on your own time and try to say, hey, like I'm willing to do this. Yeah, what? Yeah. Sometimes it's not all about the almighty dollar. What? Yeah, right? I know. Stop it, Maggie. Oh, sorry. Oh my goodness. I mean, sometimes you can't necessarily step out of that situation and really do the best that you can. Um, Yeah, I love it. And go from there. I love it. I love that you said that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I do. Yes. Skill sets. All right. Things that you probably should maybe know when you're going into certain kinds of things, right? It's nice to be trained at times when you're going into a PRN location in out LVST, MBSIMP, MDTP, um, have a good understanding of um, respiratory muscle training, um, myofascial release, possibly actually know how to pass a scope if you do know how to do fees or are certified competent, competent in that more so, and then perform modified barium swallow studies. However, at the same time too, especially when it comes to modified barium swallow studies, if you do have a good mentor, if you're working with them, in the PRN setting, maybe you can learn from them more so, or be willing to learn something new, or be willing to actually carve out some of your own funds to take the continuing education courses that you need to provide the very high quality care required. I had the opportunity to be on the SLP live event, and obviously I listened to your podcast. Oh, wait, thank you, Maggie. Yes, about kind of transitioning into the medical setting and things like that. And what you talked about was quite resonating. You're right. ASHA standards really does indicate that you need to provide ethical-based evaluation and treatment. Well, if you don't know what you're doing, you need to actually figure out what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. Or don't do it. Or just don't do it, right? Yeah. Exactly. So. Working that PRN, you do need to have that conversation with your employer, or you do need to have that heart-to-heart with yourself saying, am I willing to take on these very dynamic things in order to provide that treatment and that evaluation to the highest standard possible? Especially because once again, you're that person that's by yourself that day, most of the time, that is going to be giving them as much information as you can to launch a treatment for anyone, the main therapist, or to just see that patient at that one period of time, like an outpatient. You're the only one that's going to be there performing that video video fluoroscopic swallowing study. Do you know what you're doing? Do you feel confident in relation to analyzing the tape afterwards? Are you performing a standardized protocol? Are you able to actually work with the radiologist to get through the humps and bumps? I'll talk about that a little bit more towards the end of this talk here, but that's just those kinds of things that you have to be able to stand on your own two feet and feel confident for, since you are still, once again, just that person that's there as needed during that time frame. I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's, it's a hard balance, but it shouldn't be to say... I should really step up my skills and I should be able to do these things because I want to show my worth and I want them to know that I'm willing and capable. But on the other hand, if you haven't had the proper training, then it's just downright unethical. Like I, I had one girl message me like, oh, I'm PRN at this hospital and they told me I had to change this TEP, but I don't know how. Can you tell me how? And I was like, no, if you don't know how to do it, then don't do it. And she was like, well, but they told me that the other girls do it. And I was like, probably because the other girls have had training on it. If you don't know how to do it, then don't do it. That's not ethical for you to be doing it. And she was like, oh, I didn't even think that it wasn't ethical for me to do it. And I'm like, 
There's uh, there's everything wrong with this thing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. Yeah, but I ended up like I was like out shopping or something when I like got these messages. So I just was like replying really quick back. But like I ended up having a conversation with her later. Like, do not be afraid to go to them and say like, hey, you guys asked me to do this, but it's not something I've been formally trained in. I'm very happy to learn. I'd love to learn. Yeah. And you may have to come in on your day off to learn. And that was kind of a conversation that we had too. Like, she's like, well, I only work weekends and the people that train only work during the week. And it's like, well, something might have to give that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It just, that really just once again comes back to you need to have that thorough conversation with your employer to understand what you need or have that conversation with your main therapists because you should hopefully see them at some point in your training and talk about more of the roles and responsibilities that you do have to do and things that are fitting. So that way you feel confident in relation to what's required for the job. Coming back to in relation to evidence-based practice and treatment, you want to take maybe the CEU on certain things or you want to be trained. There's group rates for some plate for some certifications or some CEU courses. Talk to the other SLPs that you work with and see if they want to also take that with you. Highly or more seasoned speech-language pathologists may be actually willing and wanting post-encouragement and things or just their interest overall may need to be updated on some things. Say, hey, maybe we can get three other SLPs and be in a group in relation to taking this online CEU course or maybe a group course just together. Or maybe have somebody possibly through your home health agency or skilled nursing facility come and actually provide that education for everyone. So that way everybody can benefit depending on those regulations and what that CEU professional may need. So with all of that, that's kind of all the things that you need to do to make sure that you are a very well-rounded PR runner. And then comes down to the hustle, if anything else. You can be and you can have a full-time PRN gig. You can be the really intense person whose full-time job happens to be working multiple PRN places. I have had the opportunity to meet some of those SLPs. I am not even going to say I'm attempting to do that. But um, it, it is, I feel as though, actually a hustle. You're really going to have to be on top of your game in order to really coordinate all that. It is. I have a girl that I do. Yeah, I have a girl that I do mobile fees with, and she works at seven different facilities. And I, I think I, I work with her at like four different ones. And I'm like, where the hell are you today? Like, where are you going today? I am not that organized. Like, I'm like, how do you keep all this straight? She's like, oh, I just, like, she's crazy type A. She's super brilliant. But I'm like, huh, I, I can't even fathom that. But yeah, she's like, I work like 50 hours a week at all these places. I love it. Like, I love th- I love this thing. I'm like, well, you're amazing. There's jobs for everyone, I guess, you know? Yeah, and there really is. And it just, <laughs> it does really take the time yeah. in relation to getting into all of those places and then managing your own schedule to sure that you've got drive time, supply needs. Yeah eating at some point in time and just making sure that you know which building you're at. Yes. To really maximize that time. (laughs) And then you're making that almighty dollar at a very high rate. I mean, it's possible. It really is. But however, at the same time too, it's not for everybody. So if you are the people listening to this that are the hustlers that have multiple buildings, I mean, high five 
to you. Yes. Yes. Takes a special kind of person in relation to doing that. Kudos to your organizational skills. Yes. I'm not that person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's the time for me. I'm like, I don't have time to cut all those slices. So, but it's possible. So coming back to that organization, you may have the opportunity to be consistent at PRN places. It is a possibility, but once again, it's not necessarily always highly likely. So you do need to make sure that you are organized if you're going to multiple places. A calendar, either it be uh, technology or if it be the, I'm not even going to say old school way, the only way that I know how, which happens to be pencil and paper, because technology makes me uncomfortable um, on certain things, um, is to color code or highlight or write in a different script, or use sticky notes if you really feel that that is important, but make sure that you know where you need to be (laughs) at the time that you need to be at. Traffic, depending on where you're going and things like that, also needs to be put into play to make sure that you have enough time to actually do all the documentation and treatment, walk to your car, get in your car, scrape your car, depending on what's occurring. If you live in Buffalo, you got to plan in 20 minutes for that. There you go. All of those kinds of things in order to still get to your main building on time. It is a positive thing in relation to talking to your director of rehab or your management and so forth and really understanding, I cannot hit this home enough, what your responsibilities are. What do you need to do at that time that you get to work? What are all the additional things to check boxes? Do you have to write certain orders? Do you have to be able to scan fax something in? Do you have to send something out? Do you have to write a list for the next day? All of those kinds of things if you are have those additional responsibilities as a PRNer. The hustle tube in relation to this is, is you must be prepared to be called off, be pulled in at the last minute and work everywhere and try to keep yourself straight. So there are ebbs and flows in relation to all of those things that can happen on a daily basis. If you do get called off, do you have another place to work that you can call in and say, hey, I actually have some time? Or if you get called off, do you have the ability to possibly not go to that first building, obviously, but have more time to go to the second one or to even dedicate more time to the other place that you're going to? That's kind of that, once again, conversation open abilities that you need to have with your employer and know your limitations at the same time too. I will say this, sometimes when you're going to three to four, five PRN buildings in one day, it is possible, but you might kind of be a mush ball by the time that you get to fourth building. So please know your limits. Obviously working a lot is a passion for multiple people and helping others, but please take into consideration that are you actually providing the same high quality of care at the first building that you did for the fourth one? Are you actually able to think through what you're doing? Sure, to a degree, but that's kind of a lot. So you really do have to know where your boundaries are. And please remember, family and you still kind of come first. You know, each person has their reasons for working PRN. Each person has their need to work a certain amount of time, but at the same day too, you still have to keep yourself healthy, especially if you're going to work the hustle and not overwhelm yourself. It can also be quite ruthless um, working PRN if you're working multiple PRNs. Like I mentioned before, Florida has an in-season and an out-of-season. So I still don't understand why people don't want to be in Florida in the summer, um, the out-of-season time when it's like 80 degrees humidity and 110 heat. There's always that constant threat of hurricanes. I don't know why nobody wants to be down here, but 
I loved it. Yeah, thanks. Exactly. So with that being said, sometimes you have to be aware that you may be called off. I did have a situation where I went through actually my first end season down here and I did not work very often for a couple of weeks down here. I did and have multiple PRN locations, but it was kind of a blessing and a curse in disguise because I did have my consistency on the weekends. So you kind of have to wiggle through that, especially at the region that you're at. Also too, you may be one of multiple PRNers. So what are you going to do? How are you going to stick out compared to the other ones? That way, maybe you get called first. What skill sets do you have? What kind of interpersonal skills do you have? What kind of additional, how many times did you actually say, yes, I'll come in when you actually, maybe when you really didn't want to, don't tell anybody, but the place actually needed you to, how many times have you done that? What are you contributing and how are you maximizing the time that you go in there to be called number, to be called first? Or is there something where they cycle their PRNs? Each place is kind of different. You can be the hero for the PRN. You can be the hero once again for working PRN. Those full-times and part-time speech therapists may need their mental health days or may need their help. So that way they're not, you know, bulging eyes at the end of the day. And you can also still help people within a pinch. You also don't want to come back to the main reason when you want to be the person that kind of sticks out. You also don't want to be the pain in the tuckus. So are you constantly calling them asking for work? Are you kind of being annoying at your job? Are you not being diplomatic when trying to do evidence-based practice? Those are the kinds of things that can also put you at risk for PRN because if you're like really bugging somebody or not understanding what they need or you're like, wait, what do you mean I'm not working? Like for what? How long? Like that's not right. I'm going to call you every day. Yeah, no, please don't do that. Um, there is a time and a place to do that. And that's why it's so important that you know what's occurring. Hopefully the following will be edited out. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> of course. No, but okay, so back to basics. So working within different kinds of settings too, you do need to make sure that you are still communicating with the full-time and part-time speech-language pathologists. When you go to work and when you're having the opportunity to really get set up, what kind of tests do they have? What do they have um, at your facility Are you familiar with the test? Do you need to be trained on the test? I know that I had never given the scan before when I worked in my inpatient rehab setting. And I was like, what is this? I did have the opportunity to be trained, not only during my training time, but I also had the opportunity to continue to reach out to speech language pathologists that work there full time to ask the questions. Hey, I'm in this situation. Like, I don't see it in the manual. Like, how do I get through this or how do I score this kind of strange thing? And they have also been also very open to actually giving me feedback when they review my tests too, saying, hey, you know what? I noticed that this might have not been exactly scored correctly because of this kind of parameter. You know, consider this next time. Be open with that feedback and be open with, hey, I don't know how to do this. So can you show me how? Or where's the manual? It's locked in what? Like, can we try to keep this more accessible? Kind of need that. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more. Also, consider bringing your own. Please note the fact that there are copyright laws, but some things that you can own based off of bringing on your own based off of the evaluations are like the E10, the oral health assessment tool, reflux symptoms index, those kinds of things that you can bring. The, the slums, if you really have to use that, or the mini mental, or those kind of assessments, or some of the assessments too on the collective that you provide, or some things that you assist with organizing, can also be taken into the places that you work. 
And the places sometimes that you work, you do need to know where and who you need to talk to. So getting the number for your director of nursing, getting the number two unit manager calling your if you need to call the medical director I know when I was per getting ready for this I had the opportunity to talk to Nicole Day which happens to be another full-time or a speech I met her at the at the live event didn't I yeah yes you did oh speech yes. language pathologist that's hi Nicole Florida hi Nicole woo yes. so thank you very yes. much she was also saying that you do need to make sure that you do sometimes have the phone call to the medical director in order to get a hold of physicians or to call the physicians to get the orders that you need if you're working PRN, specifically in a SNF setting to get either write, written orders, who writes the orders for modifieds, who doesn't, who writes the orders for diet upgrades, who doesn't, all of those kinds of things. Fees, materials too, you know, are you supposed to call? Are you writing the order for that? How does that kind of work out and make sure that you know those procedures and have a sheet for that that you can reference to. Coming down to like documentation, especially when you come in PRN and you only come in that one day, you might want to try to talk to your therapist or your full-time, part-time therapist about maybe doing the progress note before you get in there. Because the worst situation that a PRN person can get into is that you walk in, the progress notes do, but you don't know this patient. <laughs> Yay. So you've done the chart review, you've done certain things, but you still don't have maybe a lot of data. You don't really know where the patient was and where they are and where they're going per se. So try to have that conversation to do that 10-day note or to do those notes if you can before the PRNer comes in, especially if you can plan it out. But if you are in that situation please do the best that you can to actually document what has been occurring. Refer back to those notes, read through what's already been written, provide maybe even a partial assessment. So that way, at least you can demonstrate something based off of gains. As in every setting, there are some materials that you need to perform certain kinds of things. If it happens to be tongue depressors, um, applesauces, thickeners, powdered versus not, you're really going to have to make sure that you know what's at what building and try not to cross those buildings materials. So one hospital used powdered thickener, the other one used gels based. Please don't take the gel based thickener to the powdered thickener and the powder thickener to the gel based thickener. There are certain reasons why they are separated by that because of multiple laws and details in relation to what the hospital does overall. So you're going to really have to make sure that you write that down on a certain organizational sheet so that way you don't cross those hairs. Toolkits based off of the places that you go to. I know that I also talked to Lauren Herman about it, um, and she actually carried around and has carried around a 31 bag. I've had um, to different PRN places that has all of those materials or does have sections of assessments or therapeutic books or those kinds of things with her. I, on the other hand, have like a two-inch thick clipboard that I carry with me multiple places. Remember, you're going to have to clean these things. You're going to have to make sure that you don't do any cross-contaminations. Lamination sheets are always really nice too to kind of wipe off and clean, especially if you're going to multiple settings. But making sure that you have those assessments or making sure that you have those materials there so that way you're prepared for whatever you do. And since you're working PRN, you're going to have to have all those materials if those materials are not there for you or if you don't have access. Did you get locked out <laughs> of the speech room because it's locked? Do you have the name of the maintenance person or do you know where the key is? Those are the kinds of things that you definitely need to talk about and definitely need to be prepared to be locked out. <laughs> Heaven forbid that happens, but it, but it does occur. 
Based off of um, video fluoroscopic swallowing studies as a PRNer, you need to be consistent with what you do. If that hospital has a particular protocol that they use, please be sure that you know what that protocol is. Um, as an individual who works or who is rather skilled in um, MBSIMP and is certified in that, I do perform that at the places that I work PRN. And I have had those conversations with the radiologists about why I do that. And I've given them some information or at least talked to them or tried to talk to the radiologist or the radiology technician, depending on who's in the room with you, about why you do certain things if it is different from what the other therapists are performing. Um, it's okay to say, hi, my name is Joe Schmo, and I happen to be a PRN SLP. I perform this kind of technique due to this research article. Or try to talk to the radiologist before you walk in there. Ask them, is there something that I should understand maybe about you before we walk into this assessment? Or I happen to use a certain I standardized protocol, and here's actually the research article about it in case you're interested in it. So that way, when you walk into and perform that video fluoroscopic swallowing study, the radiologist, number one, isn't blindsided. And number two, doesn't walk out of your room, um, which I've had, unfortunately, multiple spouts of that. More recently than not, um, which is odd. So, but it does occur. So you want to make sure that you feel confident and are thorough in relation to the video fluoroscopic swallowing study that you perform. So that way that next therapist who does perform or who does actually indicate either the treatment or another assessment later on down the road has all that information possible and that you're giving a thorough assessment especially being the only person that's there for that one moment in time. So a lot of the pressure is on you. 30 frames per second, Teresa, I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to be tough to say, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I have yet to be in a building that actually does 30 frames per second. Jeez Louise. Out of the times that I have been practicing, yeah, from 2011. I've done the best that I can. It's got to just be me, I swear. Yeah. When I was talking to somebody else about that, they're like, at least I just had one. And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't know. Advocate for it. I have had the opportunity to at least increase the frames every time I go in, especially when working with a C-arm um, as well as just the tower overall. I'm like, fine, if you can't give me like 30 frames, can you give me at least 15 or can you get me 20? Because seven, six and five and all those other things aren't going to cut it for me. So can you at least... Jeez Louise. It is not easy. I mean, it really is hard. I have had situations too where it's like, at least I did it, but you're going to have to perform it again soon or even refer out or even have possibly a fees person come in and perform more of an analysis if you can't get that, those 30 frames per second. So it's the it's coming back to that same thing. Not every place that you work at is going to be evidence-based. So you're going to have to roll with it or you're going to have to do the best that you can to advocate for it. Keep fighting the good fight, man. Yeah, exactly. Also too, when it comes to radiology, even though you work PRN, you should still have a radiology badge because you are still being radiated. (laughs) Please wear the lead. (laughs) Please wear the appropriate guidelines in relation to those assessments. Because you will may actually may need to show that in the places that you work. I found it to be quite interesting that in Ohio, I didn't have to show my radiology history. But down here in Florida, I did. With every place that I was hired by, I did have to show them history of however many months and things like that, that I, any of that information, I did have to demonstrate that. 
So I thought I was like, wow, that's nuts. So I'm now starting to actually keep a folder of that information that they do send you based off of. So with this, I kind of just hope that you realize that as a PRNer, you can kind of be the vehicle of change and you can be kind of a hero in disguise because you're helping out those patients that really do need that help. Or you are also challenging yourself based off of being a PRN and trying something new and something different to the best possibility that you can. You can learn a truckload of information, not only like a skill-based kind of a thing, but who you are as a person and who you are as an organizer and how you can change or adapt to certain sites of certain types of situations. I feel as though with working PRN, I have not only gained in my clinical experience, but I have been coming more of a chameleon based off of the people that I interact with and have grown just personally overall from all of the different places that I've been. It also too can kind of give you a taste of realities that can make an impact. You know, the grass isn't necessarily always greener on the other side. If you are somebody who is looking to like acute care and you're like, oh gosh, I like, I just want to work in an LTAC. Or if you're working in a school and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to work in a medical setting. This can actually give you a taste of reality that, oh my gosh, I need to switch or, oh my gosh, I need to know more or, oh Lord, thank God I don't work in this setting. It really does help kind of change and implement those ideas behind you. And realize that when you apply for a PRN job and when you do get it, they need you and your skill sets. They're not just hiring to just spend money on someone. They're hiring because they need someone who's going to be dynamic, who's going to be able to work under pressure, and going to be able to feel comfortable working by themselves. A lot of the time, since you are working the holidays and it's like a ghost town or when you're working on the weekends and you're lucky to like see the tumbleweed roll down the hallway um, because you may be by yourself. Can you handle the pressure? Can you handle what's needed? Do you have a network of people or a network of skill sets that you can reach out to to actually help someone? That's why I find it to be so nice in relation to the collective um, is that I have had situations at work where I pop onto Facebook and I'm like, what is this? And luckily I have been able to search it and have found some certain things to actually help guide me in certain ways based off of either clinical decision-making or treatment protocols that may be appropriate for the patient. So PRN is nice. I mean, it is, it has a wonderful pros and it's got some pretty nasty cons at the same time too, but it is something that can be for anybody that's looking to just make a change or to make a transition or to actually just start doing heart palpitations, trying to go to four or five different buildings in one day. Yes. Awesome. Is that it, Maggie? I think so. Hopefully. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope I didn't miss anything. I don't think you did <laughs> at all. All right. Any final thoughts? Oh, I know, especially with the new thing coming on with supervision and so forth that's required to yeah. take to take for to be a better supervisor and things like that. Looking back on things when I took on a couple of students and when I took on a CFY, consider maybe taking them to your PRN place. Let them see something maybe different if that PRN place allows you to do so. It is nice to see different realms of things and that individual may not get the chance to work in an LTAC or may not get the chance to work in home health, or maybe that can also allow them to get that experience 
to see if um, if they can use that for the next place that they work or to see if they really want to do something along those lines. Awesome. I love that you said that because that's how I stumbled upon the medical field. Yes, yes. My, I was in, doing my CF in the schools and my supervisor was like, come check out my PRN place. And I was like, no, I don't like old people. Yeah. And she was like, yes, you really might. And then I did. Yes, so, exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So I'm really glad that she dragged me along. Yes. So that would definitely be um, the main recommendation that I have. Awesome. Thank you, Maggie. This has been so helpful. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy. Hopefully somebody feels inspired or feels a little bit more confident or also is still doing what they have been doing since the beginning. Oh, I already knew all this stuff. Well, good. Yes. I mean, let's skip to good. the next Amen. One. Skip to the next show, the next podcast there. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Maggie. You're welcome. Thank you. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening.